Well, I've had plenty of opportunity to um, to go back and remember uh, some things. This is the 18th year that um, I have been in ministry. My family has been in ministry in some capacity uh, or or another. Ten years um, in the in a bivocational kind of role, even though it was full time, we had the ability to support ourselves. It's really only since we've come to Timberlake that that the saints of God have taken care of us, that we've received any any money from from the church for for service. And and just thinking back on those days, um, as I'm paralleling this this path of Moses is uh, is quite uh, Quite brings back some memories. I mean, I've walked down memory lane a number of times. I, I can still remember the day that my family and I left uh, Winfield, West Virginia, um, left our house at Riverdale Estates. Tracy and I just turned 30. Uh, we looked a lot different then. Um, Bailey was three years old. The twins were six, month old, six months old. Um, we've been packing boxes over, over several uh, months. Uh, if it was up to me, we would have packed the day before, but Tracy had been packing for quite some time. All the boxes were stacked up against this forest green wall in, in, our, in our living room, and, and a bunch of men came over from the church the day that we were, that we were to pull out and, and, lead and leave and help us load the truck, and, and there was a group of ladies inside while us guys were loading that... Uh, that was helping Tracy uh, clean. A number of those ladies have uh, already been to be with the Lord, Ann Pitchford, uh, one of them. It was dear, dear friends and family. Some of our family was there. It was a lot of hustle and bustle, uh, wheeling the dolly up the, the little loading ramp there. There were many tears. Um, I can remember when everything was packed up, I walked back through the house and, and prayed for whoever would be living here uh, after we left, we kept the house for a couple of years and let my pastor live in it for, for, for a while. I can remember going out on the back porch, standing on the back porch, looking at the apple trees that my grandfather had planted, uh, wondering what would become of, uh, of them, just the familiarity of everything around me. I, I can remember taking one last look at the, at the, the subdivision in the, in the side mirror of the, of the truck as we as we pulled out. When we set out to follow God after a number of months of preparation, it was difficult, it was painful, it was scary, and yet all along there was this sense that carried you along that you were doing the right thing. You were doing what God called you to do, mingled with all of those other, other feelings. Well, I related to that because that's really what you find in the book of Exodus where... Moses sets out to obey God's call and return to, to Egypt. We'd never been where God was calling us. One other time, um, we had been in, in Lynchburg. Moses goes back to a familiar place, and we're going to see how that's significant in the story. God has already taken four steps to prepare Moses for, for his work. He's providentially preserved him in the, in the basket and the... And the reeds, he's, he's prepared him through personal failure. You remember Moses launches out trying to do it on his own. 
and he falls flat on his face, and he's exiled, if you will, to Midian, and 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 now God uh, personally calls Moses to service. Moses finds himself as a shepherd doing a job he never intended in a place he never intended to be, and and then God even equips Moses through this odd way of of Moses saying, you know. Uh, not here am I, send me, but find somebody else. You know, I've got these four issues, God, and God answers each one of those objections. And, and now there's one last thing that needs to be done, and, and that is that Moses needs to obey. Whoever God calls, he prepares, and whatever task he calls you to do, he'll equip you for. But what God requires of you is simple, obedient faith. Now, those words may seem like an oxymoron because simple, obedient faith. It's not always simple or it doesn't seem simple. Now, whenever you think that, obeying God may be hard, but it is a simple thing to do. It's a simple concept, right? I mean, it's doing what God says to do. And while that is a very simple concept, we find that very difficult to to carry out. And as you saw, God's a very patient God, isn't He? How patient was He with Moses? He is extremely patient. How patient He is with with all of us. And Moses is going to carry out God's call according to God's power for God's purposes. It's His covenant. And Moses must realize following God means obeying Him. I mean... Following Christ in its simplest terms means obeying Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do whatsoever I commanded you, right? I mean, that's the Great Commission. You go make disciples. You go make followers. And then you teach those followers all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I mean, the essence, what does Christianity look like? Boots on the ground, rubber on the road is is obeying God. Being a follower looks like doing what he says. And now Moses, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, if you're not there, open up. Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. Moses is put to the test, brought to the place, I should say, where he, he now has to pull the trigger. He now has to obey. And, and as he obeys, as he, as he follows God's call, you're, we're going to see how following God relates to human relationships. What do you do with the relationships that you have, the relationships and the duties that you had prior to God calling you to do something, like in my case? How following God relates to depending upon divine power? and how following God relates to personal or individual obedience. So the theme of this whole section, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, is obedience. And the key word is to return or to go back. Look at how many times this one word is is repeated. Look at verse 18. Moses went and returned, or go back, to Jethro, his father-in-law. And he says, please let me return to my brethren. And Jethro says, return or go in peace. Look at verse 19. Twice in verse 18. Verse 19 is once. Now the Lord said to Moses, go return to Egypt. Now look at verse 20. 
Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on the donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. All the same word in Hebrew. And then in verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you return or go back to Egypt, see that you do the wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your, your hand. You see, in order for Moses to go forward, he must go back. He, he must go back to Jethro and fulfill his earthly duty. He must go to Egypt in God's power, not in his own power. He's already tried that and failed. And he must go back to basics. He must be reminded that simple obedience is exactly what God requires. So, you're going to see three returns that teach us about following God's call on our lives. And the first thing is it's not without regard for earthly responsibility. You're going to see that in verse 18. Secondly, you're going to see it's carried out by God's power. In verses 19 through 23... And thirdly, you're going to see it's never more or less than obedience in verses 24 through 26. Earthly duty, God's power, simple obedience. Let's look at the first one. Moses goes back to Jethro and learns serving God is not without regard for earthly responsibility. Look at verse 18. Says so Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, "Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive." That's a figure of speech. See how it goes with them. Moses asks Jethro for permission to leave and even says, "Please." Why? It's the first question that comes into my mind when I read it. Why? I mean, Moses, why would Moses, who has heard from God, why would Moses, who has seen this burning bush not consumed, why would he go back and ask permission from an earthly human being whenever he's heard from the mouth of God himself? Why would he ask for permission to leave Midian? Why would he have to ask Jethro when God Almighty had already commanded him to go? And the answer is because that's exactly what God would have him or you to do. And it teaches us that while there may be a call from heaven, God does not intend us to treat our earthly responsibilities without regard. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law and his employer, wasn't he? Worked for him, and he also lived with him. And even though God had commissioned Moses to this task, he still must take care of his earthly responsibilities. I can remember uh, when I used to work for Anthem, at times at lunchtime I would go over to the bus station of the central area where people would gather and I would witness. And I remember bumping into this guy witnessing one day and, and he was bumming money. So I took that opportunity and, oh yeah, I'm already a Christian. I said, I'm a believer. I said, well, wonderful, that's great. Tell me how you got saved. And he went through his whole story and I said, you know, well, what are you doing here? He said, well, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm following God. I'm doing exactly what He told me to do. And I said, what does He tell you? What do you mean? What's He's told you? Well, just like He provided for the Apostle Paul, God's called me to a, to a task, and God tells me to depend on Him. So I'm out here bumming money in order to depend on God, and God's providing through these people. I can remember being a young believer thinking, well, that's really odd. I could probably think of a, a few other verses, that one of which says that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. 
But this guy was just all messed up about following God. And in his mind, he had a commission from God, and that commission from God meant he forsook all earthly responsibilities. He didn't work. I don't know whether he had a family or not. And he was just to go day by day and float about and take whatever it was that the Lord provided for him. And in this case, even through some unbiblical means. Now, Jesus clearly said that following him will mean a change. I mean, don't think that, that it, it won't cost you something. We heard that last week. It may mean that you leave your employment. It may mean that you stay in employment that you don't particularly enjoy. It may mean you separate from familiar surroundings or even your family. Jesus even said in Luke 14, 26 that becoming His follower may even lead you to lose your family or your very life. You remember Luke 14, 26? If any man comes after me or comes to me and doesn't hate father, mother, his wife, children, his brother and sister, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But that separation that the gospel brings or following God brings, it will be their doing, not not yours. I mean, what's Jesus meaning there? He's meaning that your allegiance to God is paramount. It must be without compromise. If you are put to the test to have to choose between Christ or, or family, Christ is the obvious answer. We have to choose between an earthly relationship, we choose Christ. But that doesn't mean that we live without regard for our earthly bonds any more than that passage means that you take your own life. As you follow God, it's true that that some people, even people that are close to you, won't understand some of the decisions that you have to make for the Lord. But we still have responsibility to love our parents, our families, and treat our employers with respect. I I think that's the clear implication that you get here from Moses going back to Jethro. The point is, don't trample your earthly responsibilities with heavenly feet. (laughs) Following God means you go back to Jethro and discuss your plans patiently and respectfully. Long before I ever went to talk to Tracy about moving to Lynchburg... um, I had done a lot of prayer and a lot of searching and seeking the Lord. It was a, felt great responsibility for them, obviously. But I knew what I believe the Lord was calling us to do and how He was working in our lives to, to move. But I also knew that Tracy and I were one flesh and that God was not calling me without calling her. And so when I was convinced what the Lord was asking us to do, I went to her and told her what I thought. And while I told her what I thought the Lord was was calling us to do, I I told her that uh, if He's calling me, He's calling you. And I will not go unless you believe that that's what we should do as, as well. It wasn't that my wife was going to be God. It meant that, that in an earthly relationship, we were already married. He, he called us as a married couple. Called me, obviously, to a certain task and her to a certain task, but we were, we were one flesh, as 1 Corinthians 7 says. The condition that you're called in, remain. And I asked her to think and pray and tell me whether she thought God was calling us to do this and 
She went away for several days and and came back and said, you know, Brian, I prayed about it. And, and like you, I can't tell you that I'm excited about leaving my family and familiar circumstances and all of those things, but no matter what, I can't deny the sense that it's the Lord. And I will trust Him. You're my husband the Lord gave me, and I will follow Him and you. Now think of how she would have felt if I would have just went to her and said, Hey, woman, I'm your husband. God's calling us to do this. Get your stuff and let's go. We probably wouldn't have lasted very long. First of all, it would have been sinful to do that. It would have been sinful to do that. It wouldn't have just been unkind. It would have been sinful because First Peter says that she's an heir of the grace of life. She's a fellow heir of the grace of life, meaning that we share life together. It doesn't mean that I live my life and drag her along on mine. We're fellow heirs to the grace of, of life. If you think that the Lord is calling you to do anything, check with your wife first. She may give you some wisdom. As a matter of fact, it's probably a wise thing to do before you open your mouth or say anything that you check with your wife. At least that's the way that it works with me. Not only would it have been sinful, it would have been foolish. She's my helper. She's my completer, meaning that I need her perspective. I'm to initiate leading, but, but I can and do get it wrong many times. And, and God has given her to help me see things correctly. Jethro was not a believer here. Jethro's not a believer. He's not a follower of Yahweh. He's a nice guy. He's heard about God, but he's not a believer here. We don't have any evidence that he's a believer. Think of how Jethro would have felt if Moses were returned and just said, Hey, God appeared to me, and I'm leaving. No two weeks notice, no anything, I'm out of here. And I'm taking your wife, I'm taking your, your, your daughter and your grandchildren with me to follow God. But because Moses handles it well, Jethro later meets Moses after the exodus and he gets saved. Listen to Exodus 18, 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought up out of Egypt. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing which they have behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now there's no doubt in my mind that the way that Moses treated Jethro with regard and with respect helped set him up for this moment that comes later. Moses treats Jethro with respect and Jethro gives blessing for Moses to go. Verse, into verse 18, Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Secondly, after these earthly relationships, you see how divine power relates to, to following God. Moses goes back to Egypt. 
And we learn God's call is carried out by His power. Look, if you would, at verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. After securing permission from Jethro, God restates his direction to Moses. It's still in Midian. He hasn't left yet. It's important because we get some information here that we haven't received before. And what's the information? The information is he tells Moses, you're going back not as the same person that you were before. Everybody that sought your life. Remember how you murdered those guys? You failed. They're no longer there to prosecute you. You're not going back as, as, as the adopted son of Egyptian princess. You're not going back as a fugitive of the law. You're going back as a leader of the Hebrews. And even more significantly, he's not going back in his own power, but he's going back in God's power. Look, if you would, at verse 20. Then Moses took his wife and his sons, set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt... And look at this last statement. And Moses took the rod or staff of God in his hands. I want you to notice that when Moses leaves Egypt, he leaves with two things, his family and the staff of of God. It's two things he takes with him. I want you to notice the subtle change in the description. This is very particular. It's no longer... Moses' staff, or a staff, is now called the staff of God. Moses' staff was identified as his staff in the last chapter, an ordinary staff, and, and, and now it's become the staff of God. It's, it is what he's to take in his hand. And look at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all the wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. And where are those miracles going to come from? They're going to come from God through this representation of God's power and His authority. It's His staff. He's he's told him to change the staff into a snake, change water into blood, and change his hand from from healthy to leprous. And and God recounts for Moses his call and says, Use the power of that I have placed in your hands and do all the miracles that I have commanded you to do. This is not a magic wand, Moses. This is not you just wield the power. You remember how Moses gets in trouble, right? He misuses God's authority and power later and can't enter into the promised land because of what he he does. The staff is no longer a simple staff. It's it's something extraordinary. It no longer has simple earthly ability, it represents divine authority and power. What does the Lord want us to see here? The point is God empowers those He calls to do divine things. Do you remember before how there was this burning bush and what where Moses was located, the presence of God was made it holy ground. The presence of God sanctified and set apart 
He's, God's trying to teach Moses while you are, are ordinary, you can be sanctified by the presence of the Lord. And we talked about how you are an ordinary person. As Dr. Falwell used to say, if, God, if everyone knew you the way God knew you, there wouldn't be any bragging going on, right? You know yourself. You know your own heart. God knows your heart and knows you better. And yet, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the gospel, the treasure that you have, the treasure of the gospel, the presence of the Spirit, set you apart for, for the Lord's use. Now God takes this, this staff and He declares all that, that you will accomplish will be done through, through His power. This was an ordinary stick and now became an extraordinary instrument in the hand of Moses. By God's power. It's not your education. It's not your righteousness. It's not who you are, your experiences, your personality, or anything else. It's God's presence that makes you fit for whatever it is that the Lord's called you to do. And you don't carry out what God's called you to do by your own strength or by your own power. I, I still run into people. Of course, there's fewer now than before. I used to run into them all the time. I still run into people... That, that will say to me, you're doing what? You're a, you're a what? A pastor? Are you kidding me? We used, to do, we used to have that all the time. And partly that was because, to my shame, as zealously as I now live for the Lord, I used to live for sin. But I want to tell you, I do not have the natural ability, nor have I ever had the natural ability to do what I'm doing even right now. <laughs> I was so bad at public speaking, I avoided it at all costs. I was petrified. Petrified. I do not... I, I've taken the, the, the video or the VHS of the very first time I preached in, in preaching lab, in seminary. It was on VHS at that point. And, and I've, I've showed other people that, that are practicing... I do, I did not know that it was possible for a human being to say, uh, that many times in three minutes. I really didn't. But let me tell you, it's possible. It, more than one a second, I think. It's just, it was hideous. I hated getting up in front of people. Last thing in the world I would have chosen to do. And even today, I, I love helping you understand the Word, but I don't, I don't enjoy the the limelight, the public speaking part. But the calling that I have is, is from the Lord and the power that it takes to carry it out is not my own and the same goes for you. Of course you should try to, to be as best, to do as best as you can to whatever it is that the Lord's called you to do and labor and work and strive, but, but never think that it's your abilities or what you do that, that actually is the you know, is the engine or the power source. You ever try to do the right thing? Use your own strength to do it? The issue wasn't doing right. It was that you were trying to do it by the, your own power. It, it, it wears you down and you usually fail. Remember what happened when Moses tried to do that? And now, right before God sends Moses back to the place that he fell flat on his face in his own power, God tells him, he reminds him, this is my authority, my power that you're going to be carrying. 
And this was a visible sign of God's power, power that was used to save His people. You know, you have access to the same power right now. Nobody's carrying a a rod around. But you have access to the exact same power. That, that, That rod represented the power of God to save. And you have the same power now through the cross. The gospel is the, finish it, power of God unto salvation. And you proclaim the gospel. And it doesn't just clean people up, and it doesn't just just reorient them. It, I mean, it changes them, doesn't it? I mean, it takes dead people and makes them alive. It takes people that love sin and run to sin, or addicted to sin, can't get away from sin, and liberates them. And they now can serve God and serve Christ and love Him. And they want to read the Bible and they want to come to church. And and rather than holding on to all of their money, they want to give it for whatever it is that the Lord wants them to do. It's a radical change. It really is. And the place to find God's power is not in some supernatural wonder, but in the message of the cross where Christ was crucified for sinners. Do you remember John 14? John 14 Everybody loves that passage, I'm the way, the truth, and life. You remember John 14, 12? Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. We, like Moses, have been called to set people free. And the power that you have to do that is the gospel, is the cross. Serve God by His means. And as Moses will see, obeying God in this matter is a, is a matter of life or death. Let me give you the third one. Moses goes back to Sunday school <laughs> and learns following God is never more or less than obedience. Look at verse 24. So it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. What? This makes no sense. It seems to make no sense. Moses is on his way to obey God. He's done the right thing from an earthly standpoint. He's going in God's power. He's obeyed God and God tries to kill him. Now there's some question of whether it's trying to kill Moses or whether it's trying to kill Moses' son, but regardless, it's, it's a shocking thing. This is abrupt, it's unexpected, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, why would God try to kill Moses when he's just called him to go? Why does this scene just kind of jump into the story without any context? I mean, we haven't heard from Zipporah for, for some time. Now think about this makes it even stranger. We've spent the last two chapters listening to Moses resist God. We've listened to Moses whine and pout and argue and then flatly tell the Lord, find somebody else. And God patiently helps him to, to come to the point of willingness. And here God seeks to put Moses or his son to death. I mean, that should jump out at you like, what is going on? What could have brought the Lord to do that? And the answer to the question is found in the words that God speaks to Moses. Look back at verse 22. 
We're going to cover this whole God hardening Pharaoh's heart whenever we get to it. We don't have time to do it today. I don't want to cover it all in one message. Verse 22 says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, I will indeed kill your son, your firstborn. God says, repeat to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, not first in birth, but first in rank. Let my firstborn son go to worship me, or let my first come and serve me. And God says He's going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn if if he failed to acknowledge God's relationship to Israel. He says they've been serving the wrong master. Look at what he says here. Let my son go that he may serve me. You've been enslaving him to serve you, and he, they, my son, Israel, needs to serve me, God says. Let him go. And if you don't, if you fail to acknowledge my relationship with my people, I'll kill your firstborn. Israel is different from Egypt, God says here, because God made a covenant with them. He initiated it. They're His own people, a special possession. And the sign of that relationship was circumcision. In Moses' failure to obey God and circumcise his own family, put his own son outside of the covenant and therefore under God's judgment. Now think about this. Moses was following God's call. He was going to Egypt with God's power, but he failed to obey the most basic commandment of the covenant. You don't get any more basic than responding to God's covenant promise by faith and circumcising if you're a follower of Abraham, a son of Abraham. And look at what Zipporah does. Zipporah does exactly what Moses fails to do. Verse 25, Then Zipporah took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of her son, cast it at Moses' feet, and says, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. Don't read that as if there's some anger in her voice. Zipporah is obeying. I mean, she sees what... We don't tell details. You know, what has God got him down on the ground in a stranglehold? He's going to die. We don't know. But the point is, Moses failed to obey the simplest of command, and Zipporah moves in and obeys God and by faith, relieves the judgment that is going to come. I want you to notice that it is a woman again who saves. You remember all the way back to begin with? How the the midwives and everyone else, here is a woman again saving Moses. She comes to the rescue. She does three things in quick succession. She acts. She touches the feet of Moses with blood, proving that she carried it out and she spoke the words, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. There's two immediate applications. Following God simply means obeying Him. No more, no less. Don't make it more complicated than that. And don't make it less than that. Don't make 
following God and doing what He's called you to do any more complicated than just obeying Him step by step, day by day, whatever it is that He lays in front of you. But don't get to the point where you followed God so long that you make it less than that. It's so easy to get so much junk and in rules and doing it this way and dressing that way and, and all of these other things and meeting all of the standards that, that you've placed for yourself and other people have placed and miss obeying God. Do you do what you do for the Lord? Or do you do what you do because of what other people think or because of your own conscience or, or whatever it might be? You may be a believer for years. You may have received a dramatic call from the Lord, but you never get to the point where simple obedience is no longer required. Being a follower of Christ looks like doing what He says. You don't get to the point where for where forgetting serving God is as simple as obeying Him you remember Micah 6, 8? What does God require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Never forget that. And the second thing is that faith is a mark that separates people who are gods and those who are not. The sign of circumcision is an outward sign of an inward act of faith. They heard, Abraham heard God's promise of covenant and Abraham responded by faith and circumcised. And the symbol of circumcision was not some outward sign of those who have it or those who don't. It's a sign of of faith. And God was showing Moses that the key to his favor between peoples was not Moses' obedience or righteousness or, or anything else. Those who were in covenant and those who were not, faith is the deciding factor. And Moses, for whatever reason, we're not told, doesn't obey God by faith. God called Moses. He empowered Moses. But none of that replaced Moses' need for personal obedience. I can remember... point in my Christian life where I just got just got so complicated. It's so complicated. Just every day trying to do what God wanted me to do and not wanting to fail and and it just got so complicated that I just I really just didn't know where to turn and and I don't even remember the the way the book unfolds the package, but I got a hold of a of a book that Chuck Swindoll wrote called Simple Faith. And I don't even know what it was, what, what, if it was what was in the book, but the title and just the introduction just freed me. It reminded me of what's here. That, that following God is never more than just obeying Him. Obeying Him. <laughs> but it's never less than that either. God takes obedience seriously, doesn't He? How serious does God take obedience? So serious that if it wasn't for Moses' wife, he or his son would be dead. That's how serious it is. How serious is it whether you, by faith, follow God or not? So serious that you're either in the camp of the Egyptians and under divine wrath and judgment, or you're in covenant with Him. Heavenly bliss awaits you.
And the deciding factor is what you do with the gospel in Christ. Would you bow your heads? It's a time in our service that we all get to respond to the Lord. Every person here has heard the, the Word. God Almighty has spoken. And now comes the point where you say, what has He said to, you, to me? Are you following God? Do you know Him? <laughs> Have you obeyed His promise by faith? Call upon me while I'm near. Repent, believe in the provision of my Son. Are you following God and serving Him every day? Don't neglect your earthly duties. Don't overlook your earthly duties. Your earthly duties are part of God's call and God's following. Maybe you've grown weary. You serving in God's power? You just need to be reminded that it's not you or your abilities or anything else. It's the Lord. And He will empower you. Maybe you've forgotten that following Him means to obey. No more, no less. Has your Christianity gotten so complicated? Throw all that junk aside and just follow God. So whatever He, whatever you know to do, do it. And then trust Him for the rest. Maybe you're on the other side of the coin where you you need to be reminded that it's, it's no less than that. When you started, you were careful to obey, but now you've gotten more mature, life's got in the way, and you aren't as careful to do what God has commanded. You paid close attention to begin with. In what you gave, and now you don't. Maybe you stopped altogether. You used to pray. So now you just kind of shoot something up before meals. You used to read. You used to attend services to hear God's Word. I mean, I can give you general things, but you know the specific things. Don't get so far along in your walk with God that you forget the most basic things, which is to obey Him every day in these matters.